You're listening to the Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. What's up and welcome along to the penultimate episode of 2022 of the Straight to Video Podcast. Hope you've been keeping warm and well. And on today's show, I bring you a chat with singer and frontman of the Black Halos, Mr. Billy Hopeless. It's been 14 years since their last album, but the Black Halos are back with a brand new record, How the Darkness Doubled, and a lineup consisting of original members, Billy on vocals, guitarists Rich Jones and Jay Miller, along with new recruits John Cairns on bass and Danny Action on drums. Billy checks in with us from a bar out in Vancouver to chat all about the new record, reuniting with songwriting partner Rich Jones, and share some great stories about growing up, along with some pinball and pot noodle chat, amongst other things. This talk sent me back to my chat with Alex Kane of Antiproduct where I could pretty much mention anything and who knew what response you were going to get, but it's always entertaining, so I hope you enjoy it. This episode of the show is once again proudly presented to you in association with Affinity Photo, an incredible piece of photo editing software which I've been using for graphic design the past couple of years. It's used to create the podcast episode artwork you see each week, and it's an extremely affordable alternative to other programs on the market. Now is a great time to get on board with Affinity Photo and also Affinity Designer and Publisher as they've just announced a brand new version 2 platform with some great price discounts. So please check them out at affinity.serif.com. Okay, on with today's chat with Billy Hopeless. The Black Halos can be found on all social media and check out their Bandcamp page to pick up the new album, How the Darkness Doubled. But right now, please enjoy my straight-to-video talk with Billy Hopeless. I'm good. I'm good. Nice one, man. Well, it's great to hook up with you. Um, I appreciate you taking some time to chat. I'm excited to dive in. Like brand new album, how the darkness doubled is out now. First full length Black Halos release in 14 years. How have you found the response to it? Not only from Canada but around the world. Everyone seems stoked that the band are back. It's amazing. It's like we didn't really think that that was going to happen. I think in ways, you know. I mean, it's been crazy. The vinyl sold out the first day it came out. The reviews have been insanely great. It's weird because you have a baby and you think it's a great baby and a beautiful baby, but you never know. Some people may look at it and go, ah, yeah, that's a creepy baby or that's a really ugly baby. <laughs> but it seems like everyone loves this baby. So, you know, we're really happy. We're really proud parents. And you have one of my favorite bass players in the lineup now, John Cairns. Do you all go way back? Oh, yeah, John, from when he played in the Age of Electric, I remember watching John and, you know, Todd's incredible too, his brother Todd. That whole band was really great, but John was sort of like always captivated me, and I think same with Rich. And then he got into this other band after with Todd Kearns after Age of Electric called Static and Stereo, and we played some shows together, and it was kind of that thing where, like, honestly, I think we just hit it off. Like, John's sort of the bad Kearns brother. (laughs) Todd's kind of like a really nice, a real great, you know, I think nothing bad ever happens to Todd. I've never seen the guy not smiling. Nope. But John's got that sort of rougher edge. So we kind of really hit it off because, you know, we're not really the cleanest, nicest boys there are. Don't let our beautiful, handsome looks fool you. But, uh, yeah, so we really hit it off. And as I say, like, 
when he plays on stage, Didi Ramon would play his bass really low, lower than probably anyone, except for John Kearns. Yep. John Kearns, his bass is touching the ground. It's so, I saw him in the UK probably around 2000 and it must have been 2000 and shit, 2005, something like that, with Robin Black. I had never seen anything like yeah, yeah. it at the time. I was like, holy shit, this guy is incredible. He's like a panther, I always say. Like, I really wanted him in the band and, you know, trying to find a bass player and rhythm section is really important. A bass player is really important to me. And when Rich mentioned John Kearns, I mentioned Todd first. He's like, well, I don't know if Todd would even do it. I don't know. But hey, you know, I wanted to do something with John. And I was like, John Kearns, that's, he's like a panther, man. He stalks the stage. <laughs> <laughs> like Jim Carroll said, some people play like an orangutan and some people play like a cheetah. John Kearns, he plays like a panther. He's like stalking the stage and low down to the ground. I love him. How was it when this whole new lineup came together with the live shows? Was they like a real electricity for you all playing together? It's awesome. I mean, the drummer, our drummer, Danny Action, a new drummer, he asked me what I wanted from him. And I said, yeah, you want to know what I want? I want Chuck Biscuits. And I kind of got him because he hits hard like Chuck Biscuits. And as I said, you know, every component of band is equally as important and you want the best. So if I was to pick a drummer, I'd say Chuck Biscuits for sure. Like Social Distortion, Danzig, DOA, all the way up. Chuck Biscuits drumming was phenomenal. Ever since I was a kid watching DOA, that drumming was just perfect. He hit so hard. And then I'm watching Danny hit. And when I meet Danny the first time jamming with him, I'm like, Oh, yeah, those arm swings. That's Chuck Biscuit's strength. And it's funny because I gave him a picture when we recorded the album, a promo pic from the Danzig years of Chuck Biscuit said, hey, put this beside your drum kit for inspiration. It said, by the way, it's Chuck Biscuit's birthday coming up. And he goes, what day? And I tell him, he goes, that's my birthday too. And I was like, yeah, we got the right drummer. Holy <laughs> got, shit, that's nuts. <laughs> I got my wish, right? Twice, because, you know, well, actually four times because I got Jay back in the band. Jay's like... The greatest guy in the heart of the band. Jay's definitely the heart of the band. Probably everyone's favorite Halo. And then, you know, Rich, my best songwriting partner I've ever worked with. The magic duo, you know, I just can't say anything. And then you got, yeah, Danny and John. It's phenomenal. I think it's the best lineup I've ever been in in this band. Who was the person to really shoot for a new record? You've been back together for a while with like reunion shows and an EP. But was there anything in particular that made you really want to put a stamp on things with a full album and tour dates for next year? I did this solo single and I got Rich to play on it. We started talking again and Rich agreed and he heard the song said, oh, it's great. And he played on it. And then, uh, yeah, some people in Spain were talking to me and saying, hey, you want to come play Spain? And I said, oh, it's a solo artist? And they were like, yeah, Billy Hopeless. And I was like, okay. So I asked Rich and he said, well, why don't we do it as a Black Halo? So we went and did that and we had a great time and we said, oh, we should write some songs. But unfortunately, we'd spent too much time having fun and getting drunk. <laughs> so it took till we got home and the hangover was gone. I think Rich called me and messaged me and said, so I guess we should start writing now. And the songs are great. I got really happy with it and went, if we're doing this, why don't we do a full length? And yeah, just went from there. 14 years, it's a long time between albums. Can you think of any other bands that have come back after that long who you've enjoyed like a brand new record from? I don't really think about stuff like that, you know? Like I'm kind of like Doctor Who, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. I just hop in the TARDIS and go, and that's sort of it. It's like even Gus came back together in two years. It'll be 30 years since we started playing together. And Rich says, you know how long we've been playing together? And I'm like, 
Yeah, since yesterday, right? <laughs> since the last drink, right? And Mitch will laugh and I'll go, well, that's what it feels like. It's weird. It's like, to me, the stuff the Halos put out in between where Rich wasn't in and then when Jay and Rich weren't both in, those times it was great. That was Halos lineups. That is kind of, like you'd say, I got in the TARDIS, went back to where we broke up after the violent years and said, uh, hey guys, I'm going to go for a couple of drinks and start working together again. <laughs> and yeah, it just seems like that. Like we just went back. We haven't changed really. That's awesome. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of sad when you think about it in some ways. Like, oh yeah, they still sound like black halos. And I'm like, it is advancing. But yeah, we're still the same guys. Luckily, we haven't changed. No one's become a Mormon or something. That's why it's still working after all this time. You can pick up from where you left off. And yeah, this is what worked originally. And this is why it's working again, I guess. Billy, I'd love to trace a little of your introductions to music and the Vancouver scene you grew up in. Was you born and raised in Vancouver? Yeah, yeah. My dad was from Yorkshire, England. Yeah, I wondered that. I thought I did that. I didn't know if I did that wrong or not, that he was actually from England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Yorkshire. Same with Rich's parents and Rich actually being from England. Not. As a kid, my dad would always bring records home. He'd go to England or his friends in England would send records home. And he'd always, was sort of ahead of stuff, bring home like T-Rex and the first Queen album and stuff and you know, like, yeah, we were singing Sweet and Slade at home, and my dad would be playing stuff going, yeah, listen to this, here, listen to this. He's very open to music and all kinds of music, anything new. Yeah. So I grew up with a Japanese family and their older son, as a surrogate family and their older son. He was into really badass rock and roll, too, so... He introduced me to a lot because, once again, the Japanese were always way up on stuff. So, you know, I keep drinking kit. Yeah, so all that stuff. And then, yeah, I saw the New York Dolls on John Kirsten's rock concert. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, I, I love this band. You know, like when Johansson says, when you say, I, if you say I'm in love, you know I'm in love, L-U-V. When you say I'm in love, you know I'm in love, L-U-V. That was it. I was in love, L-U-V, and with the Dolls. Now we had to the Ramones and then to Vancouver's punk scene because we had this cable access show called Soundproof. We used to show like The Clash and all the really weird stuff like Zig Zig Sputnik. We used to religiously watch Soundproof on cable access. It's the only place I was showing like punk rock and new wave. So we'd watch that and that would be the Vancouver's punk scene where I ended up meeting Joe from DOA and Randy from DOA, Randy Rampage. Rest in peace, Randy, and the subhumans, and yeah, hanging around that scene a lot. And yeah, it was really a huge influence on me. And a lot of great Canadian punk rock, let me tell you. If there's one thing we've got to be proud of, I'll tell you, it's our punk rock. That was it. I'm really glad to say I got to be around the birth times of like some of the greatest music, in my opinion, some of the greatest rock and roll and glam. And then it's stuff like punk and like Devo, that man like Devo. First time I saw Devo, I was like, oh, man, this is so good. I love this band. You was kind of like this sponge for all different stuff, I guess. Because I think some of your like initial introductions were like classic hard rock and metal stuff. I've seen you talk about Ozzy and Iron Maiden and things like that. What was the transition point where you started digging a little bit under the surface to find that underground scene of punk rock in Canada? It was always kind of there, you know, like my dad loved blues, right? He grew up in the time of blues and jazz. And when jazz as a kid, when jazz was jazz, my dad used to say that at bars, he said, have a trough that would go the old juke joints he'd say there's a trough that would go under the beer kegs and the spill would go down to a bucket at the end it was called the get bucket and for a nickel you could drink out of the get bucket 
So I'd go and be hanging out at these all black sort of like blues and jazz clubs. And when white people started to get into it and sort of refine the music and make it bourgeois and not as powerful, we'd sit and say, oh, that ain't gut bucket blues and that ain't gut bucket jazz. There's some great commercial music that serves its purpose being commercial music, but there's always something, always something that's a bit more, a bit more real, you know, a bit more honest. Like McDonald's always say, 20 billion served, but it doesn't really hold any substance for you. It's not really tasty. It doesn't have anything that when you go, so what would McDonald's burger taste like? It doesn't really excite you to talk about it. Now, that's what I want. I want like the greasy spoon, you know, the dirty greasy spoon where you're going, I don't think that's ever been washed. And- <laughs> You guys flipping the food on with it, but you know it's going to be the best thing ever. And that when you're really hung over, it's going to just eat that away somehow magically. That's what I'm looking for. A lot of character, but really greasy too. What was your first steps actually being a musician yourself? I think you'd seen like Ringo Starr playing the drums on Odd Days Nights. So you originally <laughs> wanted to be a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Then you wanted to be Ace Fraley and Kiss, but then decided to be a singer. What were your first steps into that? Actually, first I wanted to be Batman, I think, but right. <laughs> something like that. But yeah, no, my first steps towards that, I think, were like seeing the dolls and the Ramones going, yeah, I want to be a singer. And then they got into a speed metal band. I guess there's like birth roots of speed metal. At least for Canada, because that same thing, imports of the U.S. stuff, the really early U.S. speed metal. Me going to California with my folks as a kid and picking up stuff like that and going, yeah, you know, listen to this. My friends think we're going, oh, yeah, listen to Accept. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So I formed a speed metal band called Debauchery. And yeah, I was a singer in that. It was pretty fun. I formed a band in a week. I just went around and found other bands and went, you, you're coming with me. You guys have never played shows. Come with me. We're going to play a show. And then, yeah, within a week after that, I'd already booked a show and was like, okay, we're playing a show. How old was you at this time? I think like about 18, 19, somewhere around there. I did that for a while. And then I, mean, I hate stereotypical lyrics. I hate really a lot of stereotypical lyrics. And the band that I'd formed together, I think they sort of looked and went, well, you're not singing about Satan enough. Right. And I was like, yeah, well, I can do that. But come on, you know, like, isn't that done? And that's cheese ball. I don't want to write that stuff. Besides, if you do it, Slayer does it better than anyone. I got to be me and end up splitting off and that. And I think they broke up pretty much instantly after. And yeah, then tried a bunch of other different bands. And there was an ad in a local entertainment newspaper, Sex Crystals, Hanoi Rocks. I remember I called it and I was like, what about the Ramones and Iggy? And we hit it off anyways. And yeah, I got to the Black Market Babies, which was the original roots of the Black Halos with me and Rich. So was it Rich who'd put that ad in the entertainment magazine? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I had to hunt him down at first. I remember I saw him on the street. Even before that, I was like the same old me going, hey, that guy looks cool. Hey, uh, do you play musical instrument? Him going, yeah, me going, hey, let's form a band. This guy's crazy and walking away. He escaped at that point, man. <laughs> he was one that got away initially. Yeah, it's funny that when I answered the ad and I showed up, I think I showed him a video of me, this band I was in called The Outpatients or something. I forgot what band it was. No, it wasn't The Outpatients. I forget what band it was that I did a practice session with or something. And I was sitting in a chair looking bored out of my skull, seeing the hangman rotten Sunday. And 
I sent that as a demo because he said, give me something so we can see what you like. I remember the first practice and he's like, it's you. And he's laughing. And I went, hey, how's it going? And he looked and he went, that video, you just look so miserable. And you just sitting there looking so bored out of your skull. It really won me over. <laughs> Was that songwriting chemistry there from the start? Yeah, pretty much. The first practice, I remember, because we didn't have anything. And they were giving covers like, they're like, oh, how about Guns N' Roses? And I'm like, uh, I only know Guns N' Roses from the pinball. You know, not really a fan. Wasn't a fan at that time. Took me until I had the Hanoi explanation for me to understand and go, okay, yeah, Hanoi rocks, Guns N' Roses. Now I can kind of get it. But I didn't yet yeah, really like them at first. I was like, oh, I know it's bits, little lines from the pinball games. I'm a pinball fanatic. So I was like, what's your fear living in the city? And they're like, uh, I was like, let's write something. And we wrote the song Retro World, which is on the first seven inch and the first album, still in the set. Played that forever and still will never lose that song. We wrote that on the first day. And BSF, a lot of people love that song, Blood Sucking Creeks. That was written on the first jam, two songs on the first jam. That is still in the set. That said something. I'm intrigued in this. You say you're a pinball fanatic. Tell me a bit about oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. Hey, there you go. I must have played them all. But yeah, ever since I was a kid, I've had this fascination with pinball. I love playing pinball. I'm like, it's just amazing. What they're doing now, like, I'm all over the board. I love classics, but some of the new tables are just amazing. But yeah, I'm pretty much a pinball addict. Did you ever have your own Kiss pinball machine? Because I know you are a Kiss fan back in the day. No, I played it, and I don't really like the new Kiss pinball. You know, they made that new one. Right. And there's something about my balls and Gene's mouth that doesn't really work for me. <laughs> yeah, there's Gene's head with the tongue sticking out, and I've got to get my balls in there. Nah, no thanks. I'm pretty good, you know, I around Vancouver, my scores are known. I'm a force to reckon with. Have you ever owned your own pinball machine? You ever had the room for one? And I was a kid, this was my first job. My parents talked me out of the Rolling Stones pinball. They're like next to nothing. And I'm really pissed at them now. That pinball's worth a lot of money now. It's uh, black and blue. The yeah, Rolling Stones black and blue pinball. If I bought that and kept that, God, that thing would be worth so much now. Wow, that'd be the retirement fund. Yeah, I got a friend of mine, a Ted Nugent pinball. I found a Ted Nugent pinball for 200 bucks. What? Yeah, I was like, oh, man, 200 bucks. Yeah, I'll take it, right? But then I was like, oh, it's Ted Nugent. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of like having a Hitler pinball in a way, you know? <laughs> not quite that bad, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of not so cool anymore. You have to justify it every time somebody comes in. Oh, yeah. You know, it's okay for people to have, like, John Wayne Gacy paintings in their place, but... No, you have Ted Nugent, and yeah, people here shake their heads at you. That's awesome. You said a brilliant quote that when the Black Halos formed, that if you couldn't see your favorite band, let us be your own favorite band. I love that. Oh, yeah. Was that in response to no one doing what you wanted to do at the time? Yeah, well, there were a couple people in Vancouver sort of trying to do it, but they're really cheeseball about it. I think it's that thing where, like, when bands like Poison and Motley Crue and stuff that they call glam at that point, it's like bad bubblegum. It doesn't hold no flavor. It's ultra sweet, and when you're a kid, you like it because it's really sweet, but there's no flavor to it, and it doesn't last long. So I think they say we're more trying to do that. And we're looking more at yeah, bands like the Dolls and the Stooges and the Ramones and Hanoi and Dogs to More. Those were the bands that I really liked out of that scene. Yeah. I don't need to hear someone say rock star, bar, hot car. <laughs> those cliches that it's, it's always like, there's a hot chick going to suck my dick. I don't know if anyone actually wrote that lyric. I'm sure it's out there. 
You know, I'm sure I was in a band after the Halo broke up. The guitarist came to me and said, I wrote this song and had a dream about it. And it came to me in a dream. And if you don't sing it, then I can't be in a band with you. And I said, okay. I write my own ways. Let's hear what you got. And he goes, I thought you were a stripper, but I knew you were a peeler when I saw you giving head to my cocaine dealer. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess that's the end of this band. I'll see you later. And uh, hearing that, I just can't even think about playing with you anymore. Those are the worst lyrics I've ever heard. I'm out of here. You know, and that's pretty much it with that stuff. The stuff we liked, making a band like we wanted to be in, because, yeah, that's it to me. I think that we could all look at and go, I love this band. How was it arriving on the scene with, like, your sound and attitude? It's kind of like in that slightly strange mid-90s time. Grunge is still around. Hard rock bands are trying to figure out what to do. What was the reaction to you guys in the Vancouver scene? Everyone was trying to be sort of the Red Hot Stone Temple Pearl Jam pilot. You got to realize it's the same sort of thing. Like when Grunge first came out with bands like Mud, Honey, and Nirvana, you know, Fluid, there were some great bands there. What happened was it became popular. So the majors were like, we need to make some of this, but a bit more commercially viable. I think they saw Pearl Jam and they really went, hey, these guys are selling more to the mainstream. Same with the Chili Peppers, you know, they've kind of gone mainstream. Let's get some more of this out there. And they took all these 80s, old 80s bands and went, hey, see what these guys are doing? Let's bring in a songwriter or two and let's clean up your image and get you the image, buy the image. We're going to make you a streamlined version of grunge. And you get that, where it's like all these metal guys suddenly being called grunge, right? So yeah, when we came out, it was that sort of period. And it was funny when we signed the Sub Pop, which was pretty much where the whole grunge thing was. And we get signed to Sub Pop. Meanwhile, they're on like Capital and bigger labels that are making commercial versions. But we were on the real version. And same thing's going on now with our type of rock. It's the same sort of thing. I remember when like Krang's calling it animal rock. Bands like Nashville Pussy and the Dwarves and Zeke and us. These bands playing what they call animal rock, I guess. That I remember we got called to a meeting and we we're told by a manager that DreamWorks wanted a band like us. They had a song, a bunch of songs already written. Yeah, this idea already for the packaging and the image. And, of course, I was like, uh, no, uh, that's not going to happen. Like, but the other famous Billy, Billy Shakespeare, said, to thine own self be true. So, yeah, I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And I think that became a mutual consensus, at least, well, I know definitely for me. But the same thing, I'm not going to say the name of the band that did sort of become made out of a bunch of guys that were in a 90s band that was sort of like trying to be grunge. They used to be in one of those metal bands in the 80s, and they sort of took them and gave them those songs and said, here, go to the tattoo shop and get yourself a bunch of tattoos and... Yeah, now you guys are the new rock band. So, you know, it's the same thing. But yeah, and Vancouver people used to come throw stuff at us. It was kind of funny because once we got signed and see some of the same people coming to shows, and they'd look and be like, oh shit, he's going to call me out. And I'd look and go, no, it's about time you woke up and sell the music. Nice New York doll shirt. I'm glad you're wearing one of those because I'd rather see you wearing a doll shirt than wearing some other band that sucks. How was the reaction in the US? Was it same thing there? I mean, she came to New York, did CBGBs and all that kind of stuff. Was the reaction the same there? New York was great. They totally got it. Same with everywhere. Like the best is when you're preaching to the unperverted. Right. You play with different bands and on different lineups throughout the years. And 
you like to play with your peers, but sometimes you like that challenge. And I remember at some shows having people come up and go, never seen a band like you before. And kids coming up and going, oh, man, I just came because there's no other show in town. And, man, I didn't know it was a band like you guys on. That's really, you know, really energizing to me. That really gives you faith in people. That's the thing. It's like, it's great when people like you, but I'd rather people like what they like. And if they don't like us, then that's fine. They just have bad taste, (laughs) you know. But honestly, it's not for everyone. I always say Frankenfurter and Rocky Horror when he says, I didn't make him for you. We made the band. It's music we like and the style of music we like. And we're not going to change it and do something we don't like to win over people. But hopefully there's people out there that do like it. And hopefully there's some people out there that like when I first heard a lot of music that go, I've never heard that before. Or I didn't think I'd like that type of music. But man, I love that type of music. First time I heard the Dead Kennedys, let me tell you. I was kind of like, I was like, I don't know why, but I really like this. I was like, should I like this (laughs) band? I'm going to keep listening to it to make sure if I do like it or not. (laughs) Kind of like right now. See, this is a bane of my existence at being in the festive season is there is no such thing as Commonwealth. Here in Canada, ever since we let go of the UK and said we're separating, it's been really hard for me to get UK products here. What you do, they're charging you a pound of flesh, your tin of beans, and it's like four bucks for a tin of proper beans, right? Anyways, pot noodles, they are better than the cheap version uh, here, Mr. Noodles. But pot noodles put out the Christmas dinner pot noodles. And they haven't done that since, I think, like 12 years or something since they've done that. And I missed it the first time, but I remember hearing about it going, oh, Christmas dinner pot noodles. And you know that you probably shouldn't eat that. You should not have even purchased that dinner pot noodles. But I've got a feeling that if I ate that Christmas dinner pot noodles, I'd be like, oh, man, why is this only once a year? And I want Christmas dinner pot noodles. Also. I got to eat this. And yeah. So that's my musical taste. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Billy, I'm going to let you go, but it's been lovely to chat with you. I'm glad we got it hooked up. I wish you all the best with the new album. Hopefully you can make it to the UK at some point. We're working on it. And from what I understand, that is that's being set up as we speak, I hope. I can't wait to get out there and go find more terrible things to stick in my mouth. Awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a very Merry Christmas, mate. All right, cheers. Thanks to anyone that gets it. Knowing that there's other people like us out there, other sick, depraved, dirty, greasy. Yeah, you know, that there's other stupid, good lookings like us out there. That makes it all better. Big thanks to Billy Hopeless for keeping us all entertained here on the Straight to Video podcast. Hope you enjoyed his stories and get a chance to check out the new album from the Black Halos, How the Darkness Doubled, which is out now. Next week's show will be our last of the year, and I want to thank you all for the amazing support you continue to show this podcast. Hope you're still enjoying the chats and all the varied guests, and I plan to continue this as we head into 2023. All previous episodes can be found over at stvpod.com, along with some straight-to-video music videos and merch. So until we chat again, take care of yourselves and speak real soon.